Welcome. It's great to have you with us. You know, the other day, a mother cell phone, uh, stay with me here, a mother cell phone took her child to a museum. It's a child cell phone, okay? It's like, like the mother, only smaller, okay? Are you with me so far? They saw a painting of an old phone hanging on the wall. And the mother turned to the child and said, that's right, honey. Long ago, our ancestors had tails. <laughs> all right, well, it's time to turn it over to someone that always answers when you call. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. So we are going to talk about something really heavy, or maybe light, or maybe something that makes things heavy. And that's, that's right. We're going to talk about gravity. And really, gravity is the reason why we have weight. Remember, if you go to somewhere else like the moon, then you have less weight. You, you actually are lighter. In fact, the, the astronauts went there and found that you're about one-sixth as heavy when you're on the moon. And that's because the moon is smaller and it has less gravity. And gravity is something that's all around us all the time. Thank goodness, right? But I don't think we think about it very much. We don't realize that there's always a force pulling on us. And um, if you take something and drop it, especially if it was in a vacuum, it falls towards the Earth at about, I think it's 9.8 meters a second, faster every second. And uh, so it's accelerating. It's falling towards the ground. And you notice if you drop it from higher, then it falls longer, so it's falling faster. And that's that force. But what's really going on there? And one of the things that Einstein came up with is that we're actually bending space-time. And, uh, well, not us, but the, the gravity, right? <laughs> and so uh, that's why things fall. So to them, they're following, following a straight course. And if uh, you look at this little diagram, this tries to depict it. You can see how space-time is warped around Earth because Earth has gravity. And you can imagine rolling a quarter, and it would just go around and around and around, right? <laughs> and that's how uh, things orbit, uh, sort of. The problem with this diagram is it's two-dimensional, and you have to imagine gravity in order for it to work. So it's not really describing gravity. <laughs> uh, but it kind of helps you understand the idea of uh, space-time distorting. And, you know, Earth isn't the only thing that will uh, create gravity and bend space-time. There's things like the sun and, you know, black holes are really massive, so they bend a lot of uh, space-time. But what about this guy? Do you imagine this guy bending space-time? Of course, this is a ladybug. And some researchers have been trying to measure gravitational forces from teensy-tiny objects like ladybugs. Well, they didn't use ladybug. They used a little metal gold ball that's two millimeters across. And um, when you think about how much gravitational force that would have, it's, it's really, I can't even imagine how. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we talk about how fast things fall here on Earth. Well, if you have something smaller, then they fall slower. If you have something that small, maybe they don't fall at all, right? <laughs> and so how in the world would you measure that kind of force? It would be really, really teensy. Uh, here's a depiction that they showed of their little gold ball. You can see they put in the lines. This was actually taken by Tobias. 
Not our Tobias, but another Tobias. Uh, pretty nice photo, huh? <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, they were able to measure the gravitational force of a little teeny ball like that. And the hardest part was ruling out all the other forces because gravitational force is actually the weak force compared to other things like maybe a magnetic force or electrostatic force or even just seismic vibrations. In fact, one of the biggest problems they had was pedestrians walking outside the building, just kind of walking around. And, you know, they had a tram not too far away, and it caused vibrations that messed up their experiment. Uh, let's take a look at their setup. And um, uh, this is actually very similar to gravitational measurements that were done a long time ago. And uh, the biggest difference is it's way smaller and it's much more accurate. So uh, you can see how they have a rod that's actually made out of glass. And then they have the gold ball attached to the rod. And then they have a glass thread holding the glass rod up. And then they have a little reflector underneath that they shoot a laser at. And they measure how much it moves by how much the light is deflected. So they can measure super, super accurately how much it moves. And then they move their weight back and forth. You can see that's M3 down there that they move, uh, or MS, excuse me, that they move back and forth just a few millimeters, and they were able to measure the difference in that movement. And they had to have a special uh, shield between them to make sure there was no electrostatic force or anything, and they went through a lot of precautions to, to be able to get this measurement. And um, like I was saying, the pedestrians walking outside would kind of interfere because of the seismic vibrations. You can imagine this thing balancing on the thread and they're trying to get their experiment right. So can you guess what they did? They found a time when people weren't walking around outside. Can you guess how they spent their Christmas Eve? <laughs> they got a really good measurement. <laughs> they actually got their best measurement over the holidays at nighttime. You know, and if you think about the 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 poem, it kind of makes sense. Twas the night before Christmas, you know, <laughs> and all through the house. <laughs> and, but anyway, when there was nothing going on outside, no vibrations and things, they were able to get quite accurate measurements and actually see the change in gravitational force from this little teensy tiny object, about as heavy as a ladybug. And the next thing that they're working on is taking it even smaller. They want to measure one one-thousandth the weight, the, the gravitational force of, of that object. And that would be really, really teensy. Uh, I want to show you a picture of their actual experiment. You can see, just because, you know, it's so much cooler when it's real, the real thing, right? And um, so if they can measure masses that small, the, the gravitational force of those masses, it could be a really big deal for science. We know quite a bit about how things act at the really large scale. We see the planets going around, and with general relativity now, we can make really accurate predictions about the movements of the planets and how they're affected by the gravity and the warping of space-time. But then we also know that if you take really, really small things down at the quantum scale, things happen totally differently. And uh, they, they even have something called quantum gravity. They're trying to figure out how that would work. The problem here is, we have really big, we have really small, and they don't fit together. It's like a puzzle that have pieces that can't go together, at least so far. Maybe we just need to turn them right, right? <laughs> uh, but if we could actually get measurements 
on that scale, kind of where it starts to transition between the two, then it could have huge implications on our understanding of what's really going on. And so uh, hopefully that's what's coming. And who knows, maybe some of our Acela students are gonna go into this field and discover amazing new things about gravity. It's a really exciting field right now and a lot to be discovered. That's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Can you stand the pressure? You know, that's a big question that you have to ask yourself if you're getting to get into hard research or even jobs. Can you stand the pressure? And we're going to talk about standing the pressure tonight in an interesting way, though in the way that it ties to space travel. And we're not talking about space travel today. We're going to jump back and talk about space travel in the 60s. And some of us are like, whoa, that's a long time ago, OK? The si what was that like, the 60s? Like Star Trek, Sesame Street show? You know, that two sh those are two shows, Star Trek, Sesame Street, OK? <laughs> that would be weird if that was one show, Star Trek, Sesame Street. It'd be like, Captain Kermit speaking. <laughs> on the USS Sesame <laughs> in search of Miss Piggy. Okay, no, but it's way back then, okay? But this was a time when America wanted to get man on the moon, and no one had ever actually gotten on the moon to where you could stand on, the, uh, just trying to imagine standing on the moon, amazing. And yet, there was a really, really big problem and it wasn't just how to get somebody there. It was once you get there. I mean, you can maybe even land a spaceship on the moon. That would be amazing and have someone in that spaceship. But what about them climbing out of that spaceship and standing on the moon? And it turns out that's really, really difficult. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight because there were a lot of things they built, rockets, spaceships, landers, rovers. But one of the big breakthroughs was a space suit. And what did that spacesuit have to do? Well, if you think about leaving Earth and going to space, and the moon has a really, really tiny atmosphere, so it's basically being in space when you're on the moon. And the thing about space is it's not as sweet as Earth. It's very straightforward. Um, there's, there's no atmosphere, which means if there's heat, like from the sun, you will feel it. You will be impacted by it. In fact, if you went out and stood out in space, the side of you that's getting hit by the sun is getting up to 300 degrees. And behind you is, so if like your Earth, you know, here's my little sunrise sunset line. Nighttime side of me is negative 300 degrees. And the front is 300. So the front of you is going to burn, the back of you is going to freeze, unless you just twirl. Okay, so if, if, you, if we send ballet dancers to the moon, it'll be okay, because they can just twirl all the time. But that was one thing, extreme temperatures. I mean, if you think about it, the Earth keeps us at an incredibly comfortable temperature that we can survive in. So that's number one. You get out in space, you're going to burn to death and freeze at the same time. The, and then breathing, of course, oxygen. We have oxygen on the Earth. And those are kind of the two big things a lot of people think about when they think of well, to survive in space, I need to not burn up or freeze, and I need to be able to breathe. So we need to have oxygen. So that's what the spacesuits need, right? So just like a big coat that holds air in with an oxygen tank. Well, it turns out those two aren't even the biggest issues. The biggest one is the pressure. And it turns out on Earth, 
Right now, can you feel it? We're under pressure. We have about, on the average adult body, there's about 15 to 20 tons of air pressure pushing on you, but it's pushing on you evenly everywhere, and the pressure inside of you is equaling that pressure so you don't feel it. You're stable. It doesn't feel like there's any pressure at all. And that's not a big deal until that pressure disappears. And when that pressure disappears, really bad things happen. Um, first of all, and things you would not even think about, it's kind of, we're not going to get too intense because it would be intense. It's kind of like if you opened a pop can, and the moment you open a pop can, you know, you don't shake it and then open it because then it goes Poof. If you open a bottle of soda or a pop can, all of a sudden this, this liquid starts to bubble. Wait a minute, those bubbles weren't there before. It's like the, the opening it was a switch and all the bubbles go, it's time, be fizzy. But what's happening? We're releasing the pressure inside of there and it turns out carbon dioxide is dissolved in that liquid and it's being held at that by the pressure. Once the pressure's gone, the carbon dioxide's like, we're free, and they start to leave. And that is what would happen to a lot of things in our body if we had no pressure. All the water molecules, all other molecules inside of us would be like, we're free, and they start turning into literally bubbles. So when they say your blood would boil, yeah, it would be really bad. You would, but your skin would hold it in, so you'd be like this balloon of, it'd be really bad. So we're stopping there. Uh, <laughs> But that is the big one, okay? It's not like if you get in space and you're not burning up, but you can hold your breath, you'll be alive for that long. It's not, you won't have long enough to even hold your breath because of this no pressure. And when they started to realize that, they realized, wow, so we're going to basically have to make the suit like a spaceship, like a one-person spaceship, because it's got to hold that pressure that the body needs. And so that became the adventure. And so we're going to go through this really quick. But NASA started coming up with a lot of ideas. Here's some ideas. These are fun. Um, <laughs> the walking garbage can to the right. He looks like a, he's on the clutter pickup crew. <laughs> OK. They're, though, but though, if you think about it, they're trying to protect the pressure. OK, here's some more ideas. These are getting better. They kind of look like knight in shining armor. Um, and it literally is armor. And of course, one of the big issues with these suits is how do you move around? So you get there, <laughs> made it, and we're done. Okay, uh, how are you going to move? So that was one of their big issues. So they put out a bid, and NASA does this a lot, where they work with actual businesses in America to make certain projects. And they said, okay, businesses, we need a suit. And these are the things we need, and we need to be able to move around. And it needs to be very safe. So who has an idea? And all these companies started giving their ideas. A lot of engineering companies, a lot of companies that have already worked with NASA to this point. But there was one company that stood out. And they were ICL. And they, um, we have an idea. Wait, where are you from? Oh, we make underwear. <laughs> <coughs> underwear? You have, OK. Uh, they, but they did have an idea, and it turns out they won the bid. Okay? Yeah. We know all about comfort and flexibility. Okay? But actually, in the end, that's really because it's got to be perfect. Look at this picture. This is their prototype. And there's a really important breakthrough that they came up. I mean, compare this to those last suits. Notice the, at the joints, the places where we need movement, like the elbows and at the thigh and waist, they had this special rubber groove system that they created 
that would hold the, the air pressure but still allow them to move and bend freely. And that was a major uh, game changer for this, this prototype. So they won the bid, and long story short, they started working on it, and they came up to people and said, all right, you're leaving the underwear table, go upstairs. You're now on the space suit crew. And literally, ladies who had been working on little products to ship around were working on spacesuits. Here's a picture, and this was not play. This was, so if you've seen a sewing machine, it goes, right? You can just sew so quickly. Well, with, with this process, it was literally, not because they didn't know how, but they had to be perfect. They had to get every stitch within 30 seconds of an inch of accuracy to what the planned um, outfit was. And if they were off, it was every inch was inspected after. And if there were not the right number of stitches in any of those inches, they had to restart. Because if they made one stitch wrong and there was a break in any part of the suit, it could be catastrophic and deadly for the astronaut. So they had to work very, very meticulously on this. Well, they started to get prototypes made and they started to run into problems. And one of the biggest problems they first ran into was, well, they thought if they had all the air pressure in there and they kept it, it moving, it would be like an air conditioning system. Well, it wasn't. When the, someone got in it and they started walking and moving, it got way too hot, dangerously hot even. And so one of the things that uh, engineers designed was this. And this is a water tubing system that they would run water through to keep the astronauts cool. And there's over 300 feet of tiny tubes in the suit. And that became layer number one of the suit. And it was water tubing and cooling. And then the second layer would become the actual shell that held pressure in. And here's, here are two pictures of that. So actually, you know, you, you're used to that white suit that they have. Well, underneath, this is the actual pressure suit. And this was really important to be able to hold the pressure in. And it also needed to be strong enough to be able to stop bullets. Because there are things in space flying at speeds of bullet speed. Even a little speck of dust, if it hits you, What's going to happen when it hits you? And so one of the things they had to do was make these incredibly strong. So that was the next step they had to do. Well, their first prototypes that they sent to NASA, NASA tested very rigorously. And one of the things they did was they put the astronaut on his back and said, okay, get up. And with the first prototypes, they couldn't get up. They were stuck. They were like a beetle. So they had to go back and figure out how to make it better. And finally, they came up with... The, the suit that we all know. So that's the outside shell. And in total, there's about 27 sh uh, layers of different materials um, from that water suit all the way to this one that they had to do. It had to be fire resistant, incredibly strong against temperature changes. Here's the gloves. Okay, there, look at all those. Those are layers of gloves. And one of the things they had to do is ha had to be super strong, but yet they had to use tools. So it had to be very agile. And they found a new, um, substance, um, I don't remember, it was basically a beta cloth is what they called it, and it was woven steel. And it costs $2,000 a yard, okay? I've taken my wife to go shopping for, I thought $10 a yard was a lot, okay? <laughs> $2,000 a yard for these, these gloves, and they covered the whole glove in it. And um, here's a video of their test. They've got this astronaut in full gear, and look at the ability of movement he has which is pretty amazing that that suit he's wearing is keeping his air pressure steady, it's feeding him oxygen, 
and keeping him cool. And of course, they would go to the moon and they would do awesome things there. And Buzz Aldrin would do things like, all the seamstresses says when they saw them jumping like kangaroos, they were pretty scared, <laughs> uh, hoping that their seams held up. But um, it w no astronaut died from any suit failure in all of NASA's history, which is pretty amazing. And um, a lot of hard work and a lot of breakthroughs leading up to a man on the moon. So next time you're there and your friends just, I don't know if I can stand this pressure. You just go, pressure's keeping you alive. Okay, thank you. And now, introducing Roger Billings. Look at the Irish. A pot of gold, huh? Yes. Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Speaking of gold, mm. we have some exciting news tonight. Yes, what is it? We have the magic Rogers Duo teachers. We do, and don't And I would we? be in a lot of trouble if I didn't have them come up and say hi. Come on, guys. There we go. How are you? Science teacher, everything teacher, come on in here. Come, come. No, you both have to talk. You have to say hello to the kids because they, they love you guys. Hey. <laughs> that was pretty good. Are you having a good night tonight? Mm -hmm. How, are you all having a good night tonight? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're here and we're filming the very next best elementary courses. So we have second grade math coming up and third grade science. <laughs> Every course we do gets better and better and better because you deserve it. You deserve the best education and that's why we're here to make every experience you have help you gain the skills you need so that you can do whatever you want in your life. So thank you very much for working hard. We're working hard for you so that you can work hard and achieve your dreams. Great work out there. Awesome. Thank you. Every time they come, I have them do that, and they never expect it. I know. They're like. <laughs> kind of reminds me of you a little bit. It's really good. You know it's what? It's true. But it's so good to have them here. And, it is. And our students just love them. They Amazing do. teachers. Yeah. And thank you for coming all the way up from Texas be here with us. So um, those were really some pretty interesting presentations tonight, weren't they? They were. Had their space and gravity. And well, and, and I found out that they're going to have a real booming fast food business on the moon. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. I missed that. There's not much of a wait. <laughs> right? That's true. <laughs> well, you're ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we have some pretty exciting, you know, we've been promising that we were going to uh, do some things with a microscope. Yes, you were. And microscopes are amazing. You know, you take a lens, mm -hmm. and the lens is ground, so it's thinner around the outside, fatter in the middle, and as light comes through the lens, it bends it. 
which allows you to magnify things. And it just turns out that tonight I have a real microscope here really? to show people. Mm -hmm. that, is that what's under that? Yes. It's, it's, and I just lost my real battery. That wasn't good. <clears throat> You're still on. Thank you. <laughs> it's called live. live. If, if this live. was if this was a spaceship, <laughs> I would have just lost it in my spacesuit, wouldn't I? <laughs> you know, uh, that was really interesting. They were playing football in a spacesuit. Yes. And the guy that went in the moon, do you know what his name was? Buzz Aldrin. Aldrin. Sounds like a quarterback, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. It does. All right. So we're now going to do an unveiling of the microscope. The real microscope. Oh boy. <laughs> Look at that. Oh. Is that? See how this magnifies my eye? Is that your eye? I think so. Could you? My could, mother said it was mine. It's blue. Could, could you wink? Why? <laughs> Look at that. It's not moving. <laughs> I love it. You love microscopes? I do. I wasn't expecting that, though. And then there's oh, this goodness. one. Oh, goodness. Oh. That's the real thing, isn't it? That's the real thing. Yep. I brought this wow. right out of Area 51. And I have been preparing slides, photographs, to be able to share tonight. What treasures today. you have back there. Yeah. Would you like to touch it? <laughs> it's touchy. Yeah. This is a, is a real microscope. On mm -hmm. top, there's a place to put a camera. There's a prism in here so it can split the light so I can take pictures, which I've been doing. Has, this one has two places for your eyes. Turn, 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 turn. Yeah. It's a stereo microscope. Mm -hmm. And then here we have the ability to turn the lenses so that we have different strengths. So there's a, a wide view one that isn't as much magnification, and then you can turn it to a stronger magnification and a stronger one and a stronger wow. one. Kind of neat, isn't That's it? That's very neat. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I started looking at a lot of neat things to put under the microscope to show. Okay. And of course, I put them under with the weak magnification first, and then I zoomed in and I zoomed in, and I want to show some of them. Okay, Wonderful. would that be all right? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to start. Uh, oh, I like it. It's That's nice heavy, and heavy, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start with image number one, and I'm going to start with low magnification. Let's take a peek at this. Can you tell what that is? It's a bee wing or wasp wing. It's a wasp wing. A bee wing. wing. This is actually from a bee. But you see it has the ribs, and it has the, the see-through part. Now, this is magnified quite a bit, so you can see a lot more detail than you can just looking at it. Uh -huh. But what if we turn the lens to a higher power? Would we be able to see more? Look at that. Goodness. Now we're zooming in. We can see a lot more detail. But let's zoom in all the way. Wow. Now we're clear down here. We can see a lot of detail. Now, this microscope actually has one more power of zoom. But it is, it is so powerful that you have to get really, really close to whatever you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And so this requires that you put a drop of oil on top of the slide, and then it goes down into the drop, and that's how you can see the highest power. 
you can also understand that as you magnify more and more, you need more light. And so there's a big light source and a polarizer and a lot of things in here to make it look very neat. That so what is do you think? really neat. Are you liking this so far? I'm loving it. Do you want to see more? I do. All right, let's see what else we looked at. This would be number two. Can you tell what that is? That is a bird feather. Wow. See the structure of it? Would yeah. you like to zoom in? I would. Okay, zoom in. Ah, now you can start to see it in a little more detail. And the thing about microscopes is you can see things that are invisible. I mean, they're visible, but you can't really see them without the microscope. Let's go in all the way. And there we are. Ooh. So we get clear down to the individual details. Now when you zoom in this far, you can actually turn the focus knob up and down and it will focus at lower places in the wing and higher places, which are pretty neat. I saw you looking away from the image. Are you getting bored? No, you just had a message coming. Okay, we, we need to take a time out for a message. And, and you know, we have a little shout out. We got to do this tonight too, so. Yes, this is um, from one of your students in Brazil. Oh, he's turning, hi Brazil. He's turning 12 on Friday. He wants mm -hmm. to come visit you. 12 years of age is invited. It's awesome. Want the other shout out? Yes, let's have it. Here we go. So we received a box today. Inside the box was a very small ACD2 robot made out of clay. And this is from Miguel Lito. And he wants to thank all of his Estelle's teachers, including Mark Rogers, because he's funny and he makes him understand math. And Dr. Billings for making him love science. Mm. And me for making him happy and care. <laughs> and is, is he the guy that says you're funny? Yeah, he says, well, thank you, Miss Piget, because you're helping me be better and happy. <laughs> but uh, this is your shout out, and this is his ACD2 robot. Aha! Uh -huh. so. Well, there you have it. So and the robot things are already picking up, aren't they? Yeah, okay, up. now we've got to go back to I know, the I microscopic to world. Do you want to see more? Because yes. there's some really neat things. They want show. you to say things in Portuguese. Things in Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what should I say? You could tell us about what you're going to show us. Just tell me what you want me to say. Just say it in English. <laughs> I want you I'll to say it. how you say bird feather. I want you to say how you say bird feather. <clears throat> how do you say it? How do you say it? <laughs> I bet you did this a lot when you were young. Oh, uh, I am young. Eternally desire pena de ave. Okay? In fact, they have a, an expression in Portuguese that says it's only a feather. That's yeah. when it's just a silly little thing. You're over yet. It's just a feather. That's kind of fun. It's light. And yeah. Just let it. Okay. So back to the next image. Are you ready? Yes. This is good. Can you tell what that is? You should be able to tell this one. Don't say that's like ancient Coptic Egyptian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or <laughs> just think when it? when you see something, and then when you magnify it, you don't recognize it. That no. tells you that the microscope is telling you things you didn't even realize that are going on. If you look at this very carefully, you can tell that there are little plates down there. This is the wing of a butterfly. No. And you wonder how they get the colors. They put these little gold scales on, which are very beautiful, aren't they? They are. 
Now, if we had a microscope that we could turn up the power, we could probably see them even better. Should we try? Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Can you see them? See how the little scales are lined up? Can you imagine how much time it takes to put each of those scales in place? They're so perfect. That's why they're in the cocoon for so long. Mm-hmm. Only it's not really a cocoon because it's a butterfly. What is it? It's a chrysalis. That's right. See, she knows her butterflies. I know my butterflies. Okay, let's zoom all the way in now and see what these look like. Oh, now you can see the individual scales, and you can actually start seeing the pattern, how it's made. Isn't it fun to be able to see things in the micro world? And from here, we have another power, and then from there, we go into things like the electron microscope. And we get down to such detailed things. It's so exciting it to be able to see these very, very small objects, isn't it? All Life right. is amazing. Just thinking how that. So is the microscope. Yes. Okay. Just got it Let's see the next one. <laughs> Here we go. There's a more. There is. Okay. This one is a mystery. Is it a moth? <laughs> what is it? It could be Martha. <laughs> no. I wanted to give this one to you as a challenge. Okay. So challenge. that's why I'm doing it backwards. This is high powered. This is zoomed in all the way. So that'll give you a clue. So we're looking very, 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 very small. And I think if you look at it, look at the edges, you can figure out what it is. I can't figure it out. Hmm. You're, yeah. Well, maybe maybe, me. maybe we should invite the students then to help us. Maybe they'll just send us a message telling us what, what they think this is. Okay? Would that help you? No, you can't look. <laughs> They're on my side. <laughs> you're, you're going solo on this one. Can we give her one more look so that she can uh, notice the thing on the right is a little bit wider. It's kind of bat-shaped. The one on the left is very small. It's like a play button on a video. Does that give it away? No. Okay, you need some clues. I do. Right? I need a lot. Okay, you know what this is. I, okay. And if you don't know exactly what this is, at least you know what its cousin is. <laughs> I know you know what its cousin is. Oh, wow. I will never look at this thing the same again. So you're going to give and you want to go to a lower resolution so it's easy to recognize? I really do. Okay, we're going to go to a lower resolution. Now you can tell. It's a bumblebee. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Could be. Or a, a bumblebee. Flower. A flower. What is it? I can see the bumblebee lines. I can too. I have an imagination. But I can not imagine all them. bumblebees have the circles around the lines. It's an alien hand. Look at that. You yes, it is. Definitely right an alien the hand. Mm -hmm. There's a big round circle on the right <laughs> side. Can you see that? Uh huh. I think you almost have it. I almost have it. Do you want to go zoomed out a little more so you can see it better? Yeah. All right, we're going to zoom out to low power. There, oh, now it's easy to tell. It's an eye. It's an eye. Mm -hmm. Is that what you think I now? I can see an eye in there. Uh -huh. It's and, like an owl's uh, eye. An owl's eye. <laughs> what Ooh. do you see? <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know what it is, though. So. I might have forgotten. See, they think it's a bee as well. A bee? Uh -huh. A B as well. Okay. So you don't recognize it now? Can you recognize its cousin? I know you know its cousin. You may not know it, but you know its cousin. That's a good clue. 
<laughs> it's not. <laughs> I was afraid we were going to have this embarrassing moment. You planned it, so yeah. what you did. So what I did is just to be safe, I took a picture without any microscope so that you'd be able to recognize it for sure. Or if you can't recognize it, at least you'd know its cousin. Are you ready for the giveaway? All right, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> now I know you've seen a dollar bill. Yes, I have. <laughs> That's its cousin. That's its cousin. Okay. Yeah, did you know that this guy, Benjamin Franklin's a scientist? I did. Yeah. He's a good scientist. And you could tell by his B I. It looked like an eye. Yeah, it looked like a B. See, I got an eye. Looked like an eye. <laughs> but isn't it interesting how the world changes when you have the ability to bend light? to show you That's what's amazing. going on in the micro world. I'm kind of proud I found it, figured out the eye. Can't figure out anything else. But. Pride is not a virtue. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, it is when I'm sitting next to you. <laughs> there are so many things that we can learn by seeing at this level. And you know, uh, I have one in particular that I'd like to share with okay. us because it's something that has always absolutely amazed me. And I'm going to see if you can recognize it. What do it's you a, think that is? It's a fractal. A fractal? Mm -hmm. A snowflake. <laughs> oh, snowflakes are okay. fractals. Do you see how many points it has? Uh-huh. Six. Why does it have six points? Tell me. Hydrogen. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> uh. um, hydrogen. Why is it hydrogen? Water is made of hydrogen, uh -huh. and ice is made of water, uh -huh. and water has hydrogen in it. Uh -huh. So why six? So why does it have six points? Did you know that virtually all snowflakes have six points? That would be amazing if it's true, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And almost every snowflake is different, especially as they get to be bigger. The smaller ones are get to be a little more alike. But snowflakes are, are made up in the sky, and they usually start out as a little seed, a little teeny speck of dust. And when the temperature gets right, it's cold enough and there's enough moisture, the moisture starts to collect around this little piece of dust and forms a little teeny speck of ice. And then atom by atom, or I should say molecule by molecule, it grows. And interestingly, when there is a little teeny speck of ice, which is water molecules, a big, juicy oxygen atom with two little cute hydrogen atoms. And remember, the hydrogen atoms aren't on both sides. They're both kind of up on the top, like Mickey Mouse ears, right? Mm -hmm. And they're at a certain angle. And when another water molecule comes to attach and to get into that crystal structure, the oxygen connects with the hydrogen. And it has to do with how the hydrogen shares its electron. And it's fascinating. And so this structure builds and if let's look at another uh, look at this that's completely different but notice how many points mm -hmm. six six again they're beautiful and they are beautiful they're magical now if you study it very carefully especially in the middle you can tell they all the points aren't identical but they're very similar mm -hmm. and these points are made by these hydrogen atoms growing in at a certain rate and then as they drop down through the air, sometimes they melt 
and it melts back away, and then they go through a freezing zone, and that's how they get these very beautiful, intricate shapes. So you can learn an awful lot about chemistry, a lot about crystals, and of course, about hydrogen. Let's see another one. So this one has a lot of little speckled uh, fingers on it. That's and beautiful. It's quite different. They're all beautiful. And, and to have them be so perfect and so aligned and to grow this way is, is nothing short of amazing. And, you know, a scientist looks at this and tries to figure out why. And snow, snowflakes are a great way to learn an awful lot about chemistry, about crystals, about other things. Look at another one. Look how different. This one's a triangle snowflake. But look, there's still six points. It's beautiful, isn't it? This one has a little special lighting that creates the color because they're all clear glass, but it's, I mean, clear water, ice. But it's very beautiful, isn't it? it I'm inspired is. by these. Yeah, I, I have always loved snowflakes. They're really beautiful. Let's they see. Are. Let's see another one. Of course I do. Okay, another one for you. Look at that. Completely different. These are like little spears. Yeah. And so if you can imagine this little speck starting out right in the middle, falling down, and it's growing out, it's growing out, it's growing out, and it forms this little six-sided shape, and then it just keeps building on it, and then it melts away a little bit and adds more. And absolutely amazing. So when you see all the snow-covered mountains and everything, when you zoom in on that, you see all the individual... Well, by the time they get down mm -hmm. to the mountains, sometimes they kind of get all smushed together. Mm -hmm. But they are beautiful. Yeah. I, let me show you one more. Okay. I like that It one. is so different. This is like little Christmas trees or little ferns. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you didn't really know this how snowflakes are, you wouldn't believe it could be that beautiful and that perfect. Mm -mm. It's amazing. They're actually very, very inspirational to me. I, I just think they're beautiful. And... Um, a, by the way, these are, are images taken under a microscope. And to be able to see this kind of intricate detail, you need to have the magic of these lenses. And think mm -hmm. how many scientists worked to be able to make something that would focus such a perfect image and allow us to see it. That's really amazing. Yeah. Now, um, I'd like to share a, a little video that uh, someone has put together and it's on the internet, but it's a video that shows a bunch of different snowflakes. It has some beautiful music too. I, I think you'll enjoy it.
You know, they are beautiful. They are. But it, it's interesting to me what makes them beautiful. And I think it's the symmetry. If you just took a little piece of it by itself, it wouldn't be beautiful. But when you get the full symmetry and put it all together just right, it becomes beautiful. And as I was looking at these, it made me think about learning. Mm. You learn a little bit here, a little bit here, and you start putting this body of knowledge together. And you know, learning is kind of like a snowflake grows. It starts with just a little seed, and then you have to add on, and you add on a little bit, and it it kind of builds. And that's the way our learning and our understanding is. Uh, we have a lot of students getting ready for the science fair. Mm -hmm. And to really be successful in doing a science project, you have to know a lot of things. And the fact that you know a lot of things empowers you to do a lot of things. And when you, when you bounce out that knowledge and you master these different fields, what you can do in your, in your life is beautiful. It is. And I think it's really exciting. What do you think? I think so. Yeah. What do you think is the most important subject to learn? <laughs> is that a trick question? Well, it better be science or math. We've got <laughs> teachers here. Uh, science and math are good. <laughs> yeah. Now, what, what do you think is the most important subject in, we teach in Cellus to learn? And if you see... Uh, Emotional, social. <laughs> Some I of us will smile. Mm -hmm. I thought of that. Yeah. Because okay. it helps you deal with all the other subjects. <laughs> it helps you deal with them. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that the the magic of the snowflakes is it has all the points, and it makes a whole. And I think that's how knowledge is. I think they're all important. When I was growing up, uh, I became convinced when I was in the third grade. That would be about eight years old. I was going to be a scientist. And by the time I got to high school, I didn't see any need for English. <laughs> a scientist doesn't need English. We need, you know, a periodic table. And we need da, 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 da. And I had a very caring principal that noticed that I was a little light on the English and <laughs> brought me in and, and gave me a little coming up and on getting back into English, which I did. But it turns out that my study of English was very, very important to my, my career. And I think it's very important to our success. Uh, being able to explain an invention, a technology, or even just an idea, very often how well you can explain it or how well you can write about it, it's even gonna determine whether or not you get funding. I mean, you might be nothing more than an underwear company. <laughs> but if you can explain it with That's good, right. good English, right. you still might get the contract from NASA mm -hmm. to build the spacesuit. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I think it's important to be comfortable in space. <laughs> <laughs> and to be able to move. Play football and, and move. Play football. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And get up from off your back. Okay, so moving on. <laughs> this can be a spicy one, isn't it? Okay. I was listening. But at any rate, I, I really would love to do anything I can to inspire every student to realize the beauty of the knowledge that you're assembling. And it's not just random. If you go in just to these wonderful math classes that Mark Rogers has worked so hard 
to teach and to prepare. I mean, he's clear up to the second grade now. <laughs> and he's going backwards. But uh, he had this idea that if he could build a method of interacting with the students in a relationship and help them go all the way up through this elementary math series and middle school math, that it would help students succeed at it. And if any of you think that it's working, some of you that are his students, give us a shout out. Send us a little mm -hmm. message and I'll kind of let him know what the results are. But it's amazing how many people have singled him out as a teacher. And uh, it's, it's like a twofer. We got an amazing science teacher in the same package. We sure did, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> Uh, I was really fascinated that uh, when I heard the story about how Mark was doing so well in the financial world. In fact, he got the big job with the big bank over in London, and I can just imagine how much wealth he was accumulating. <laughs> would need math to even count it. <laughs> and then, somewhere along the way, he met a science teacher. And his whole life changed. And you know what? It's a good thing that he met her because a lot of students are meeting a math teacher and their whole life is changing. That's true. And it's, it's interesting. These people are helping create a lot of snowflakes, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Beautiful snowflakes. And it, it's hard. It's hard to put forth the effort to master these subjects and to learn. It takes effort. But as the knowledge begins to accumulate, and it accumulates in a symmetrical pattern of beauty, empowering you to do things, then you start to realize what you have. And one of my biggest motivations is to help people understand how valuable this knowledge is. It's worth more than gold and silver, and literally can result in gold and silver in your lives if you master it. So please put forth the effort, and please understand how important it is. If you had a, uh, an estimate of how much you're going to be able to earn during your working lifetime, more because of your education, it'd be just like every day you go to class, you sign in, sell us, da 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 and you go and start doing your class. You're literally putting little gold coins in your bank account. And these are going to come back and pay you every year of your life. We still have a team, one of which is here tonight, working on this idea of earning gold in your courses. And part of, of my vision of where we want to go with this is to make it so that as you achieve certain achievements in your learning, you earn little gold coins and now I'm talking now about symbolic gold coins. No, we're not shipping out gold yet. <laughs> but you earn these gold coins. And, and the idea is for you to realize that this knowledge is as precious to you as gold. And I actually still have this plan that I want to make it so that you can redeem your coins to David over there for hats, T-shirts, all kinds of things. Neat. By the way, someone's been telling him they want to sell us hoodies. Yes, they have. And so he's working on that. If there are other things you want, just let Dr. Peugeot know. She'll get them for you. 
<laughs> careful. People are learning. Careful. Yeah, easy path. But uh, we, we really need to get a lot of things in the store. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we can get this program going so that you can work hard, earn these coins. And, and the way I got it planned is you don't get a coin for just mediocre effort. You have to make exceptional effort, and then you get these coins. And if you can redeem these coins for stuff you want, then you kind of understand how education works. You work hard to get it, but you'll be able to redeem it for stuff you want. So I need to go back to school. If you ever want to <laughs> see the cousin of that thing we saw, <laughs> you're going to have to learn because that's the big bills. Well, I'm a life learner, so. You're, you're a lifer. Okay, I'm good. I'm a lifer. Good. And Mark Rogers has got a lot of comments coming into him. Yeah, we, we need My to share a little bit. favorite math teacher. Yeah. Well, he's made sure of that. He's their only <laughs> math teacher. <laughs> but you know, well, you know you it really, really, really is working. I, I just am so thrilled. And I, I interact with students as much as I can. A lot of our courses have been steered by the input that I get. And it's interesting to get the perceptions. Uh, we've had a couple courses, not filmed by him, but a couple that I thought were magnificent, and the students didn't relate to them. Uh, the courses aren't to entertain, they're to empower. And he's very good at it, and so she. She's just filming her fourth course, so she's kind of a newbie. Mm. But they're good courses, and she's yeah. taken us outside, and she's introduced us to plants. She makes, she made me love plants. She makes you it really love fun. it. Yes. Yeah. And everybody should love science. It's pretty amazing. Okay, well, as John would say, that's all the tech we have a microscope for. <laughs> but I want to thank you. you for joining us. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.